Plenty of news going on, and one piece of news that came out today is Ali Marpet re-signing for several years, yeah. and I know that's very exciting, so we're going to start with that, but want to remind everyone that we do take your questions, thoughts, comments, all of that. We want to talk about what you want us to talk about, so send all of those in. Go over to the Buccaneers Facebook page, and specifically make sure you find that Bucks Insider Live page and subscribe to that so you always get alerted to when the show comes on. Put all of your questions and comments right under our live video if you're not already watching on Facebook. So, and uh, we clearly are. So, and yeah, we already got some people watching, which is great. So, so Ali Marpet. Ali Marpet resigning. <coughs> I want. What do we know about yeah. the deal and what you think? Why it happened now and, and just what does this mean for the team overall? Well, the deal is a six. It's a five-year extension. It's a six-year deal because it starts now. It replaces what he had for 2018 and it runs through 2023. Uh, in terms of dollars, the team doesn't really hardly ever announce dollars. It'll be out there. So if you want to find it, you'll be able to find it. I'm sure it's good. Right. You know? yeah. um, it's it's what you want. You want to draft a guy and then sign him to a second contract. Right. I mean, and we've been able to do that with a good number of guys in recent years. Your Gerald McCoy's, Levante David, Mike Evans, you know, now him. I'm, I think I'm Cam Bray, Will Golston. I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple others. It's what you want. And there's probably a couple others coming down. The right. line at some point, maybe Donovan Smith, maybe Quan Alexander, guys like that. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and, you know, at some point you do have to give them a bigger contract if mm -hmm. you want to keep them around. So good for Allie. That's fantastic. I think he's having a great year. Um, it's hard with offensive line metrics. The offensive line, our offensive line as a whole is not helping much. With the running game isn't very good. So everybody bears some of that burden. But the passing game has obviously been very good. And for the most part, the pass protection has been very mm -hmm. good. And... Other than that, it's kind of hard to give stats for an offensive lineman. There are services out there that that's claim to be able to grade them, like Pro Football Focus, which I don't really use a lot because right. I feel like you're cherry-picking some of it you like and some of it you don't. But if it matters to anybody, they have them very highly rated this year. Which is, yeah, which is great. Um, and, and it's interesting because there's a group of guys that we've talked about would all be coming up for contracts around the same time of you had Allie and Donovan and, and Quan and Jameis and all of them. Um, so – we knew that it was already going to be challenging of how many you can resign and how and when. And so what does this say about now, again, the timing of it, of why you would sign now and what this can mean overall of trying to figure out how to put a place for all these guys that their contracts are going to be coming up soon? Yeah, in terms of whether it was week, what are we in, week six of this year or week eight or whatever, I'm not sure the timing of that was all that important. I would, I would imagine this means that both sides agreed that they wanted something some time ago and have been working on it since. And right. they just figured it out at this point. I suppose you could say... I don't know this for sure, but it, it could tell you a little bit of the priorities of the order. You know, Allie right. was maybe the priority of the guys that weren't signed yet that they wanted to get locked in. Um, I'm sure he was a very high priority. Uh, so other than that, it it's great to get them done early. It feels like we've done this a lot. So there's something about the process where it happens like this. I think Joe McCoy was about this time of the year when he got his. I think Levante David was like that too. You know, sometimes you have a player who will say, okay, if it's not done by the start of the season, then I don't want to deal with it. Right. Wait. And, and that happens, but I think most of the time, the, the players really aren't dealing with it that much anyway. Their agents are dealing with it, and they're getting giving them their updates, and I'm sure they get feedback. But I don't think it's particularly, in most cases, all that hard. You know, I think when it's a situation like that where a guy says, nah, we're not doing it, it's more of a contentious thing. Right. And I don't think this was a contentious matter, probably. Okay. Um, we have a question from Fred, and this is going again talking about timing of the year. He said, when are guys that are on IR able to come back, and are any of them ahead of schedule? And he specifically wants to know about Beckwith. Yeah. Um, they 
Beckwith is not, actually not on IR. He's on NFI, but it's so that one is a little better because I believe that's six weeks, and then you have a couple week window where he can practice with the team and not count against it. Right. I do have all this information upstairs. I can't of each guy. I can't claim that I can recall every single one of them, the exact details. The IR ones they have to be out for eight weeks from the point that they go on IR, and then again there's a window for them to come back and and um, a couple weeks to practice with the team before they actually are activated. Uh, so. There's, you know, it's a, like a sliding scale. If a guy that went on last week, he won't be available till a little bit later right. in the season. But I guess a couple of guys that would be uh, relevant there would be Mitch Unrein, who went on at the very beginning of the year, so he'd be the first one that'd be available. Uh, maybe Chris Conte. I haven't heard much about the severity of that. Um, I've got to be forgetting a couple. When how does it uh, change the idea of? the designated to return and all that 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 it used to yeah the way that used to work as compared this to now. L this rule has evolved very well it's taken some time for the nfl to get to this point but i think they're at a really good point and just just for a little history um a couple decades ago you could put a guy on ir and then bring him back off and the problem with that was it sounds good and they do that in baseball but and you could do that with everybody the problem is teams sort of abused it and you know you're in order to keep their 53 guys and a few more, they'd have guys on IR that probably sh necessarily shouldn't go on IR. Now to go on IR, you actually have to demonstrate that they have an injury that there's going to be keeping them out of a certain length, okay? Um, so then it went the other way. They said, okay, no, once a guy goes on IR, he's done. So you can't stash him there because he's going to be lost for the season, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, but that gets a little bit tough because that puts you in the, in the scenario of, of each week deciding, do I keep this guy active? on the active roster, how many weeks am I going to have to make him one of our inactive guys and right. carry a guy that's hurt? I'm sure, they, I'm sure they had this exact conversation with Ken, about Kendall Beckwith. If we think he's going to be back in three weeks, maybe we keep him on the active roster and then just make him inactive for three weeks. Right. If you think it's going to be more like six or seven and you do NFI, same thing here. So it, it kind of put teams in a hard situation. So, so some years back, maybe 2010 or so, they started this new thing where you could bring one guy off IR, one guy a season, uh, and you had to designate him as that guy when you put him on IR. So if we put Mitch Unrein on at, at in week one, we would have said, okay, this is the guy that we want to bring back. And and then he you know, he would come back. Problem with that is, okay, Mitch Unrein's an important player, but what if in week two your starting quarterback gets hurt and he's going to be out for eight weeks, and now you're like, man, I wish we had saved that. Right. So we could change it and make it that guy instead. Yep. And so that's what they did. Now you do not have to say ahead of time, which one it is. Everybody that you put on there is a potential guy that you could bring back. You just don't have to say it up front. Um, and then they did, they gave everybody two of those choices. So that's where we are at now. Okay. All right. Uh, and then I know we had several of the position coaches talk <coughs> yesterday, which is a little bit of a rarity that normally it's only your head coach and coordinators. They do who it just a couple times speak. a year. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a pretty rare situation. I feel like it's always great insight because these are the guys that really spend the most time with their sure. individual position groups. Um, so I wanted to hear anything kind of high level that stood out to you from, from talking to those guys and, and some themes or things that came out that you felt like was uh, a little unique or different as mm -hmm. compared to hearing from the coordinators. Well, you as you would expect, everybody wanted to talk to John Hoke, who's one of the defensive backs coaches, because that was the position that struggled the most in the most recent game. Uh, you know, and he said – some of the things he said is what you'd expect. He obviously thinks highly of all those guys and those young guys and what they're going to become. But he does say, look, every time I go out there, it's a new experience for them. Every new, every game is new for them. Every time they're doing this, they're learning. So, I guess reading between the lines, what you say is, you say is some of this is growing pains. Right. And, and I don't think it was the intention of the Buccaneers to draft two cornerbacks in the second round and and a safety in the fourth round and have all of them in, 
as starters by week, you know, MJ Stewart is essentially a starter because he's a slot guy by week four. Right. I don't think that was the plan, uh, but that's where we are now. So you've got to work with that. And there's there's definitely a lack of experience there with Chris Conti not there and even Vernon Hargraves. So now you have Brent Grimes, but not much more in terms of experience. Yeah, that's tough. And, and speaking of experience and the timing of that, facing the Falcons, this year <laughs> seems like in theory it wouldn't be as hard as normal just based on their record and what they've been doing. But just somehow it seems like the Falcons – offense tends to have our secondary's number in terms of <laughs> putting up some massive yards. I mean, Julio Jones, yeah. we remember the, the game he had against us last year. So uh, I think the bye week in some ways couldn't have come at a better time for that secondary to have more time to look ahead of the Falcons, to self-reflect. What, what do you feel like are the things that, knowing the Falcons are coming up, that this secondary and the defense overall is really going to have to focus on yeah. and make sure I that there's not a, a repeat of Chicago? I kept watching I, – I got to watch football on um, – Sunday because of the bye week, and I kept for one for one, for some reason or another, all these different analysts were kept using the phrase "tough out." That's a tough out for them. I just kept hearing it, and that's what pops to my mind now. The Falcons are a tough out for mm. the Buccaneers. Yep. Uh, the Falcons offense. Don't get fooled by that one and four record. Matt Ryan is just fine. Julio Jones is just fine. They have a new weapon in Calvin Ridley. Mohamed Sanu is still very good. They just got Devontae Freeman back from injury. Right. That is a very very potent offense. I know they weren't great against Pittsburgh, but they also their defense wasn't giving them much help. The reason, the main reason the Falcons are one and four is because they've lost like four starters to injured reserve on defense. I mean, their defense is struggling to the extent that our defense is struggling in some cases. And so what you look at this game, you think, man, this could be a shootout again. Right. I mean, the people are expecting this one to be kind of wild like the New Orleans game. And I, it wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah. Um, I, I think we certainly have the weapons to um, attack them and score a lot of points. Specifically, the challenge to our secondary, what worries me the most is Julio Jones, and uh, duh, right? right it's yeah. easy to say. But here's a specific reason why. Um, <coughs> one, th Julio Jones is obviously somebody you have to worry about going deep on you, right? Right. He gets up to speed really, really quickly. He eats up that cushion. On, if you give him eight or ten yards, he eats it up that quickly, and he can run right by you. And so, you know, he's running like a 15-yard route uh, upfield, just straight upfield. Mm -hmm. The DB turns, and at some point that DB thinks to himself, Okay, my biggest worry here is the deep ball. I got to make right. sure. So he's that's what he's thinking first. And what Julio Jones does probably better than any other receiver in the NFL is go from top speed to a sudden stop. Hmm. So they do a number of different stop, which you'd call stop routes, just a quick right. button hook or stops and flattens his route out on an out. And the cornerback who's so worried about this deep ball, it takes a yard or two to react. And with Matt Ryan throwing the ball, the moment he cuts, uh, that's in incredibly hard to defend. Now, if you're one of our young cornerbacks. I think you compound that a little bit. I don't think these guys want to give up huge plays, right? Right. So they have to – but they also can't not concern themselves with that. So they're going to be in a tough position trying to cover Julio Jones, I think. And, and you know, he may not get the 75-yarder, but he might get a two or three 25 or 30-yarders on those stop routes. Right. So it's a tough challenge. Yeah, it's, it's very true. Uh, and it's not like the Bucks are the only team that Julio Jones no, has played well against. No, 100%. That's my point. Yeah. He does that to everybody. To everybody. That's very true. Uh, Paul wants to know, what would you say this team's identity is after the first quarter of football? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And do you think some of the veteran guys we have now and have added can help keep the locker room focused and from sure. getting down? Yeah, on the on the second point, absolutely. And I think that they, they have. I, people probably don't necessarily believe us. You can back me up on this. There hasn't really been a loss of confidence in that locker room. Yeah, that's true. You, it's fair for a fan to think the last, well, the last game, the Pittsburgh game was still pretty good, except for the second quarter. It's fair for a fan to think that, to be worried, that the Bucks are actually what they saw in Chicago. Right. That's not at all what these guys think. Yes. And I think they're closer to being right. Yeah, I remember that was what Vinnie Curry said right after the Chicago game is 
his biggest thing he kept repeating was this is not who we are. Right. And I think a team <coughs> knows when they get beat bad if it's because that's just who they are. They kind of They're not did, as good. Yeah, they're just not as good as the other team and mm-hmm. there was nothing else they could have really done versus the idea of the Bucks have said that when they've lost they've beat themselves. And, and everybody says that. Right. And it, they seemed, I mean, especially the look on Vinnie Curry's no, face. they believe it. Uh, yeah, you could tell that that was, that was a real thing. As Coach Cutter said, there's been a lot of self-inflicted wounds. Mm-hmm, right. and, and every team would like to say that because it's easier to swallow that you could have beaten them, but you messed up, then they're right. just better than we are. Right. The first half of the question is, the identity of this team is clearly in, in the passing game. You know, it's a prolific team with a lot of weapons that can hurt you in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly, I don't think we have found an identity on defense, and that's not particularly surprising because the offense is a lot more intact from what it was. The defense has a lot of new parts. Right. What you want that identity to be, especially in, given Mike Smith's history, is um, you rush four, you don't blitz a lot, and you, you commit, a, you create a lot of turnovers. You, that's right. what this bucket. That's what turned it around in in the second half of 2016. Mike's first year here, and that's what needs to happen for it to turn around this year. We have to get more pressure on the quarterback, and we have to we have to live off of turnovers. And then to you, the importance of this game. We talked about how um, going into the the bye week that two and two was was still it's uh, fine, fine, and and even better than most people predicted yeah. the Bucks would be at that point. How important now is the difference in two and three and three and two in your mind, and especially the division mm-hmm. road when we talk about one game is one game, but some of them do matter more in the yeah. sense of division games. To be honest, and I know this may sound like I got rose-colored glasses on, a win here does more for us than a loss does to hurt us, in my opinion. Oh, okay. I don't want us to go two and three, but two and three, at worst case, you'd probably be two games out with 11 to play yeah, and, and four games left in your division, three of those four at home. Uh, Atlanta is has been a historically tough place to play. There's some what look like on paper easier matches matchups coming for us, especially at home. It you it's not going to be a disaster if the Bucks are two and three. However, if they were three and two with two division road games in hand already, two and zero oh in the division and both road wins, that's that's enormous. That's right. a fantastic place to be. Um, we would probably at that point be about one game out of first. We'd have two wins in the bank and three of our f- four remaining games against the division at home right so lots to gain somewhat to lose but more to gain than to potentially lose in my opinion okay i like that all right that's going to do it for us on this edition of buccaneers insider live presented by miller light thanks so much for joining us we'll be back here every week usually tuesdays at noon so we'll see you then